All right, if you have your Bible, we are continuing through Acts chapter 9. Continuing through Acts chapter 9. I'm going to grab there and uh, we're, we're continuing to look at Saul. You can see today's message is entitled Saul's Early Days. Now, next Sunday, uh, it is Father's Day. And uh, as tradition goes, and there is actually another story behind this, but uh, as tradition goes, the pastor's family will be out of town next Sunday. So I will be, I will be on vacation. You will get a uh, slight reprieve from the book of Acts if you need one. Um, and uh, Joey Michaels, one of our deacons, will be uh, bringing the message next Sunday morning. Uh, next Sunday evening, there is no evening service, so spend that time with your, uh, with your dad, uh, unless you're on vacation which I will probably call him at some point. So, all right, Acts chapter 9, uh, we are going to begin in verse 19, um, and we're going to go down through verse 30. So let me, uh, let me read the first section here. I'm going to read just a little bit, and then uh, we'll, we'll get a recap of what's going on. Actually, let me do that first. I'll give you a recap of what's going on, then we'll read, because uh, that'll make more sense this, instead of, all right. Um, so what we got here in Acts chapter 9 is we, we were introduced to a man named Saul. And that Saul is a super important guy for us to know uh, because as we continue through the book of Acts, once we get to about chapter uh, 12, 13, somewhere in that time frame, the story shifts and it's no longer about the uh, apostles in Jerusalem. We now pick up the story of Saul. Um, he'll have a different name by that point. And we watch as he takes the, uh, takes the gospel in, uh, basically into the known world. He, he starts traveling. He's planting churches. He's telling people about Jesus. Um, but Acts chapter 9 opens up, and Saul is still a bad dude. He is on his way. He's leaving Jerusalem where he's been terrorizing the church. He's got letters from the high priest that says he can throw people into jail if they are um, following the way, as, he, as it was known. And he's on his way down there. He's headed to a city called Damascus. And while he's on his way to Damascus, he comes in contact with Jesus. And now this isn't just somebody telling him about Jesus. He actually had a face-to-face -face conversation with Jesus. There was this bright light, brighter than the noonday sun, the Bible tells us. And uh, he, he, Jesus asked him, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? And Jesus said, well, I'm Jesus. I'm the one who died on the cross and rose from the dead to have, so you can have your sins forgiven. And right there, Saul was face-to-face -face with the depravity of his sin, the things that he was doing. He understood that he needed a Savior, and he became a believer right there on the spot. And as a result of that happening, Saul stood up, and he was unable to see. I don't know if there's a correlation there, but God used that moment to humble Saul, to take him from being who he was, this, this big-time Pharisee that was persecuting the church and trying to deal with the believers— and he completely humbled him. So he continued on to Damascus, but instead of going in as a conqueror, he actually had to be led by the hand, led by the hand by the guys who were there. They took him in, and he went to, uh, he went to a guy named Judas's house, and he was fasting and praying there for uh, three days. While that was happening, as we looked at last week, uh, God appeared to a man named Ananias. And he said, Ananias, I need you to go see Saul. And Ananias said, excuse me? Uh, what you talking about, Willis? Right? He, he said, are you sure this is the dude you want me to go see? And God told Ananias, he said, yes, this is a chosen instrument. I'm going to use him to take the gospel around the world. And so Ananias went to, went to Saul at great risk to himself, went to, went to Saul and said, 
Saul, you are, you're now my brother. God has a, has a plan for you. And when that happened, the scales fell off of Saul's eyes, and he was, he was then ready to begin what was going to happen. And so what we're going to see here today in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 19, is we're going to see what Saul was like in his early days as a believer. All right, we're, we're going to take a look at what that is and some, uh, some implications that it has uh, for you and me as believers. So let's read beginning in Acts chapter 9, verse 19. I'm going to read down through 25. We'll pause there for a moment, and then we'll, uh, we'll pick it back up. Acts 9, 19 says this, After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. All who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on this name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priest? But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plot. So they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. Let's go to prayer and we'll take a look at that. Father, I, I ask that you be with us right now as we uh, look at this passage of Scripture, as, as we take a look at what Saul was like in his early days as a believer. And Father, I pray that you would open our eyes and open our hearts. Help us to have understanding, Lord. Help us to see the principles that you would have us learn uh, from this passage, not to read ourselves into the story, but uh, to have the Holy Spirit show us how we can be different people, how we can be more like Jesus by following the example of Saul here. Lord, I ask that all of this in your beautiful name. Amen. All right, so what we, what we got going on here is after Ananias meets with Saul, after, after they have their, con, um, their, their conversation and his eyesight is restored, it was time for Saul to begin his new life. Prior to this point, Saul had been a Pharisee. I mean, we, he, he was the, the Pharisee of Pharisees. If there was like a poster, when I was growing up, I had this poster of Michael Jordan on my wall, and he was like all like, all right, get that on Facebook. Like, you know, he had the tongue hanging out, and he had his arm back like this. I had that poster on my wall. It was great. If there was a poster of Pharisees, there would be Saul standing up there like this, all robes and phylactery and all that stuff going on, right? And the first thing that we see that Saul does is after he begins his new life, he's now no longer in the, in the Pharisee world. After he begins his new life, the first thing he does is he goes and he joins up with disciples. The first thing that he does is after he, you know, he thanks Ananias and um, Ananias feeds him and makes sure he's got his strength. The first thing that he wants to do is he wants to meet up with the disciples. And the reason was is because Saul understood he had a lot to learn. He couldn't just go out there. You, know, you ever meet one of those guys? And, and I, unfortunately, I was one of these guys. I got, my, uh, I got, I got a degree in uh, school administration. And as soon as I started taking classes on school administration, suddenly I knew everything there was to know about school administration. And then I was given the opportunity to be in charge of a school for a day. And you know what I quickly learned? I don't know that much about school administration. Right? It, was, it was a difficult job, even though I was only doing it for a day. It was a tricky job, and I'm sure we've all been in that situation. Well, Saul understood that if he was going to do these things that Ananias told him God was calling him to do, he needed to start learning about what it was. 
Saul knew that it was important for him to be in community with the other believers. He knew that he needed the mutual accountability and encouragement that the other believers would bring to him. It is incredibly important that we as believers, those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, that we are active members of a church. Right? There, are, there are some believers who think that it is okay for, well, I'm watching Joel Osteen on TV and he just blesses my heart. Or I watch this guy, I only pick Joel Osteen because he's the only one I know that's on TV. Uh, no, I'm not picking on him today, I promise. All right? or, or they go, well, I don't need to go to church because I can watch it on the television and I can just feel the Holy Spirit through the television. No, you can't! Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. He doesn't travel through, uh, through cable TV. Or, I mean, I guess he could. He could. He's the Holy Spirit. He can do whatever he wants. Um, but it is vitally important that we are active members. We are part of a church community, and, and we're there. Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25 says this, And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. Your television screen is not going to provoke you to do good works. You know what it's going to do? It's going to look at you. Right? Flat screen and all. It's just going to look at you. Not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I'm not one of those guys. I'm not one of those guys that sees signs everywhere that tells me that Jesus is about to come back. Right? I remember growing up, we would hear these people like, well, we're going to a cashless society. And as soon as we go cashless society, Jesus is coming back. I've been using a debit card for like 15 years. I haven't seen Jesus come back. I can't tell you the last time I used cash. Maybe yesterday when Tina put left a tip on the table. Right? People see signs in everything. They, they drink their coffee cup and they look in the bottom and they got the, 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 um, the coffee grinds in the bottom and it looks like the number 666. And they're like, ah, oh, the Antichrist is on his way. I'm not one of those guys that sees that. But... What this verse is telling us is that as we are getting closer, as we are getting closer to Jesus returning, and every day that we're alive, we are one step closer, one day closer to him returning, we have a responsibility to each other to encourage each other, to hold each other accountable, to rebuke each other. When when somebody is stepping out, it's our job as a church family to say, dude, you are out of line in this spot. We are, we are to do those things to build each other up because as we get closer, it becomes that much more important. Saul knew that what God was calling him to was not something that he could do by himself. Too many Christians think they're going to be able to live the Christian life on their own. This doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. We need to have each other. We need to rely on each other and hold each other accountable. I know that I put a lot of emphasis on coming to church. Partly because I'm the pastor. I need you to be here because it's, it's, it's a lot easier to talk to people than it is to talk to an empty room. All right, But I, I put a lot of emphasis on those things because if you're serious about your spiritual walk, if you're serious about your relationship with Jesus, then you need to be in church. If you are serious about growing as a Christian, being in church is the primary way that that's going to help your walk. I will even go a step further. You need to be in church more than just on Sunday morning. All right? We have Bible studies. We have Sunday school. We have Sunday evening service. We have all of these opportunities for people to hear the word of God. If we are serious about our Christian life, then we need to be constantly under a, a steady stream of the Bible. Yeah, this will be not, not very, this is very apparent to people. I'm a little pudgy. 
all right? I'm a little pudgy. I'm, a, I'm about 40 pounds heavier than I would like to be. And the reason I'm about 40 pounds heavier than I like to be is I like potato chips, all right? I like, I like red vines. You ask my kids, they'll tell you my favorite thing to eat is red vines. I love red vines. They are fat-free. I don't understand it, all right? I, I don't get it. I, I like ice cream. I like junk food, right? I like regular food because I can't control myself. Now, I know what I need to do in order to lose the 40 pounds. I need to exercise. I need to stop drinking so many vanilla Cokes. Stop looking at me like that. I need to, I need to cut back onto red vines. All right? I need to leave the potato chips alone. I know that I need to do these things. Occasionally, I will go out for a run. But let me tell you, going for a run one time a week ain't going to do anything. I'm going to continue to be 40 pounds too heavy if I only go for a run once a week. If I am truly serious about getting my body into shape, then I'm going to put myself through the hard work of getting my body to where it needs to be. And that means that I'm going to do the things that I need to do. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to go to Sunday school. I'm going to come to church when the doors are open. I kind of have to. I'm the pastor. But... um, You will only grow when you are under a steady stream of Bible teaching. That's the only way you will grow in your Christian walk is if you are under a steady stream of Bible teaching. And Saul knew this. Not only was Saul spending time with the disciples, though, learning from them, he was also putting what he was learning into practice. Acts chapter 9, verse 20 says, Immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. Saul was learning these things, and he was immediately going out and telling other people about it. A few months ago, we did did something called the three circles, where we trained people on how to share the gospel using three circles. And one of the things that Pastor Scroggins, I still haven't figured out which one he is. There's Clay, and there's uh, his brother or his cousin or somebody. Um, Pastor Scroggins, he, he said, the first thing that you do after you learn the three circles is you train somebody else to use the three circles. Like he would tell stories about how he would lead people to Christ using the three circles and then he would give them the napkin or the piece of paper that he drew the three circles on so they could go out and share it. That's what Saul was doing. Now don't make a mistake here. Saul was not a leader in the church. They did not immediately say, oh, you're a Christian. You've got a pulse. We're going to put you in a leadership position. That's not what was happening here. But what he was doing is he was taking what he was being taught and putting that into practice. And this is the attitude that God wants from his followers. He wants, us to, um, he wants us to take the stuff that we learn, and instead of being spiritual sponges, where we come in on Sunday morning, we hear the pastor give a sermon, we hear the, ba- the pastor teach, and then we walk out the door and we don't do a single thing with anything that the scripture was taught on that day. All we do is we suck it in, we suck it in, we suck it in, we just hold it in. What God wants from us is when we are taught something, that we immediately put it into practice and take it out and share it with other people. Now, Saul did have a slight bit of advantage. Remember, he had spent his entire life training to be a Pharisee. He had even left his home. He traveled to Jerusalem to study under um, Gamaliel, who was the, the top teacher of the time, and then he went back. So he did have a little bit of preparation. Um, But what he was doing was he was now a follower of the way. All of the stuff that he had learned to this point was helpful, but he now had an entirely different system that he believed. And so he was having to to learn those things again. 
What he was learning was that, that everything that he had been taught was all about Jesus. Luke chapter 24, 26 and 27, Jesus is appearing to some of his disciples after he had resurrected. And he, he, they were having this conversation about what was going on. And this is what it says in verse 26. Wasn't it necessary, this is Jesus talking to them, wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted from them for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. This new Saul, as he was going out and teaching these, he was having quite an impact on the city around him. No doubt Saul's reputation had preceded him to Damascus. I mean, if, if what we looked at last week with Ananias, Ananias knew that Saul was coming to town and that he was coming for him. He had heard, he had gotten word that this was all taking place. But now, people saw Saul in the synagogues, and instead of blowing the place up, Saul is teaching the very things that he had come to town to oppose. And so, it was it was having a difficult thing. They, they were having a hard time understanding what was going on. Like, isn't that the guy? That's the guy that was coming. Come here, look at this, right? And, and they would call him over and be like, what, what in the world is going on here? How is he saying these things when he's the one who was coming to arrest us? It, the reaction was always the same, complete bewilderment. This was a sign that Saul had been truly and powerfully saved. He was a brand new person. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Eric shared this at the beginning. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Saul's transformation showed that he was truly saved. Now, I'm going to share a story here. Um, there, there was a, uh, a gangster named Mickey Cohen. All right, some of you may... Some of you may have even been alive when he was alive. I don't know. All right, Mickey Cohen was a was a gangster back in the '40s. Uh, he he had a a buddy named uh, Bugsy Siegel. All right, and and he was kind of Bugsy Siegel was the guy that would schmooze everybody and and, and was really nice to them and all those. Uh, Mickey Cohen was the guy that would break your arm. Right, he'd come in and tear your place up. Anyway, um, Chuck Colson he wrote a book and he shared this story about Mickey Cohen. He said apparently Mickey Cohen had attended a Billy Graham crusade, and when Dr. Graham gave the invitation to step forward and accept Christ as Lord and Savior, Mickey Cohen responded and did just that. So this gangster was at this Billy Graham crusade. Dr. Graham gave the invitation, and Mickey Cohen came forward to accept Christ. Later, when he was told by the Billy Graham follow-up team that he needed to cut his ties with organized crime, Cohen became incredulous. He got upset when they said, you got to leave that old lifestyle behind. You can't be doing that stuff anymore. He said, you never told me that I had to give up my career. You never told me that I had to give up my friends. There are Christian movie stars, Christian athletes, and Christian businessmen. So what's the matter with being a Christian gangster? If I have to give all that up, if that's Christianity, then you can count me out. Just like we saw a few chapters ago with uh, Simon in Samaria, the magician, how he became a he became he he made a profession of faith in, in hopes of, of drawing attention to himself, but he never had a true true conversion. The same thing is here. But when we look at Saul's life, when we look at what what was taking place with Saul. Saul had had a true, truly different experience. 
What should be noted about Saul from this passage is his faithfulness to Christ. While all of this is going on, he is remaining faithful to Jesus Christ. You have to imagine how difficult this new life was for him. Just like we just saw with Mickey Cohen, he was unwilling to give up his old life. He was unwilling to let those th- set those things aside in order to follow Jesus. Saul was completely different. It was a complete 180 for him. And unsurprisingly, many of the people he now wanted to be with were extremely suspicious of him. Right? He would go into the synagogues and he would want to spend time with them. And they would say, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. Are you sure? Are you right? Um, however, as is shown in Acts 9.22, Saul continued to persevere in serving Christ. Despite the loneliness and the rejection, Saul continued to grow in his faith and he continued to hold true to Jesus, who had so miraculously saved him. And as evidence from this passage, Saul's faithfulness eventually bore fruit. And the reason I say that, um, well, before I get there, you and I, we quit too easily. We, we give up on things way too easily, right? I can't even begin to tell you how many people have gotten upset with me over little tiny piddly things, right? You didn't shake my hand this morning. I'm mad at you, right? I was sick. I didn't tell you I was sick, but you didn't call and check on me. So I'm mad at you and I'm going to hold it against you. Somebody shared a letter with me that you allegedly wrote. This was about 10 years ago. I've never said anything to you about it, but I'm still mad at you, right? We get too easily offended when these things happen, right? We are, we are too upset. And honestly, if I had a dollar for every time somebody was upset with me for something ridiculous, we could pay off this building behind here. Right now, forgive me, I'm not trying to make light of anybody's feelings. I'm really, okay, maybe a little bit. But I, I'm trying to, to show the point that we, we get upset about things way too easily. We take these things way out of hand. Now, thankfully, Saul stuck it out, right? It, it, if I had a dollar for every time that I, that's, this is actually what I meant to say instead of making fun of people. <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time I was on the verge of quitting, because people were upset with me, or because something didn't go my way, or, or if I was just, if I was, if I had a dollar for every time I thought I was about to quit and somebody talked me out of it, we could build a brand new building back here, all right? Lots of money going around. We should start collecting, all right? Just keep a tally chart. Now, thankfully, like I said, Saul stuck it out. It took him three years. He continued to minister here for three years, but Saul did eventually have a successful ministry in Damascus. Galatians 1 tells us that Saul had been in Damascus for three years. And at this point, it is discovered, after he'd been there for about three years, it's discovered that the Jews had had enough of this guy. They're like, you know what? We're done with you, Saul. Enough of of all the trouble that you're causing. We've we've had enough. We're going to kill you. All right? Now, I don't think they approached him in the street and told him that. They didn't get Mickey Cohen to come talk to him or any of those things. But there was a plot to do that. And... What ended up happening was his disciples heard about it. And so um, one night, and, and they had to do this at night because apparently Saul had also, his, there are historical accounts that Saul had also upset the king of Arabia, which is located near Damascus. So the Jews in Damascus are upset with Paul. The king of Arabia outside of Damascus is upset with Paul. And so everybody is trying to kill Paul. 
And so some of Paul's disciples, I'm sorry, I'm saying Paul, aren't I? Some of Saul's disciples, people that he had led to Christ, they said, listen, man, we cannot let this happen to you. We, we, we just can't let this happen. Get in this bucket. We're going to throw you off the wall. And you can, uh, I'm sure it didn't go down that way, but we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to help you get out of here. And so they, once the, the city walls were closed, they lowered him down and he was able to escape. He was able to escape the Jews in Damascus. He was able to escape the king of Arabia. His exit of, from Damascus was just as dramatic as his entrance in three years earlier. It's exactly the same thing. Now, that, that brings us to a second chapter here. Saul, the first part was Saul in Damascus. The second is Saul in Jerusalem. Let me read to you uh, verses 26 through 30. It says, When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, since they did not believe he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had, been, had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. Don't hang out with Saul. Right? Just, when the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Now, after leaving Damascus, Saul decided he was going to head to Jerusalem. And the reason that he was going to Jerusalem was he had learned a lot in Damascus, but he figured if he was going to continue to learn things, he needed to go hook up with Peter. He needed to go get in with, with, with Peter, and he wanted to meet and learn from him. And if he thought things were bad for him in Damascus, if he think, thought things were difficult for him there, they're nothing compared to what it was like for him in Jerusalem. And even though he had been, it had been at least three years since he had last been there, old hurts and grudges die hard. So as soon as, as soon as Saul showed up in Jerusalem, everybody remembered all of the pain and the suffering and, and, and the havoc that Saul had wreaked while he was in Jerusalem on the believers. Acts 9.26 describes the loneliness and rejection that Saul had experienced by the disciples. He tried to, to come in and, and spend time with them and learn from them, and they wouldn't let him in because they were rightfully suspicious. This was the man who had thrown their friends and loved ones into prison and even voted to have some of them killed. And now suddenly he wants to be a part of the group. And you have to imagine the loneliness and rejection that Saul felt when the people that he was trying to spend time with wanted no part of him. This had to be crushing to Saul. Now, thankfully, God saw Saul and he knew exactly what he needed. At this point, Saul needed a friend. And so God sent, just like he had sent Ananias to him while he was in Damascus, God sent Barnabas to Saul while he's here in Jerusalem. Now, we've met, uh, we've met Barnabas before. Barnabas, at the end of Acts chapter 4, just before we got to that, uh, that, that, that uh, scary section in uh, Acts chapter 5 uh, about the two people who lied to the Holy Spirit and were executed um, by the Holy Spirit as a result of it. Barnabas is the one who sold a field and brought the money to the church. His name means son of encouragement. And that's exactly the role that he's going to play here. Um, and, but this was a huge risk for Barnabas. right? Be, because he had been a part of the church at this point, they, there's, there's, good, um, there's good reason to believe that he was one of the leaders of the church. He wasn't necessarily one of the apostles, 
but he was a leader in the church there in Jerusalem. And so suddenly this leader is partnering with this guy, the public enemy number one as far as they were concerned, and saying, hey, you need to believe this guy. You need to listen. He was putting his neck and his uh, reputation on the line. But he had no idea what Saul's motivation was. Could it have been that Saul was a spy trying to infiltrate and tear it apart from the inside? Like I said, Barnabas was putting his life on the line by vouching for Saul. But it's exactly what Saul needed. Proverbs 27, 17 says this, Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. Barnabas came into Saul's life at the exact right time. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, But encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Barnabas encouraged Saul and vouched for him to the other disciples and the apostles. He told them of Saul's conversion and about his ministry in Damascus. Saul was able to meet Peter and had the opportunity to stay with him for 15 days. That's like a little, little seminary course right there. You got to, to learn from, from, uh, from Peter. And this gave him, like I said, this gave him the opportunity. Now, as I said in the beginning, we need each other. All right? You need me, I need you. The only way we're going to grow and become more like Jesus Christ is if we are mutually holding each other accountable for these things. It is detrimental. When you cut yourself off from others, when you say, you know what, I, I, I'm not going to have anything to do with the church. I don't need the church people. I'm not going to talk to the church people. I'm mad at the church people. And you cut yourself off. You know what you're doing? You're cutting off your nose to spite your face. All right? What, what, you, are, you are having a detrimental effect on your Christian life. Right? And as I'm looking around the church today, there are people that are normally here but for whatever reason have chosen not to come and worship with us today. Some of it's because of illness. Some of it's because they're upset about something. And the only people that they're hurting is themselves. We miss them. We want them here. But the only people that are being hurt by not coming to church are the people not coming to church. Right? But we also have a responsibility to reach out to them and find out what's going on. Because we can't, we can't help in this situation if we're not reaching out and finding out what is going on there. Barnabas sought to encourage Saul and kept him grounded in his faith. This is one of the reasons we put such an emphasis on Sunday school and Sunday night service. Our Sunday school classes, they give us an opportunity to develop, to develop deeper relationships and to hold each other accountable. We, we, we build a different relationship in Sunday school than we're able to build right here. Right? In Sunday morning service, when you come in, we might get to shake your hand and talk to you for about two or three minutes. That's not really enough to, to build a, a deep, sustaining relationship on. But when you're in Sunday school and you're in a, a small group or you come to women's Bible study on Tuesday night or you join us for men's breakfast, we're going to have an opportunity to spend time with each other on, on a, a small group basis and build those relationships even stronger. And on Sunday night, we get to encourage each other by praying for each other's needs. I got to tell you, and I say this all the time, it is truly, and, and, and this, is not, this is not me up here saying things to fill time, it is truly beautiful to sit here. And there are times, and, and the, the gentlemen that come up and pray with me, I don't know if they've ever seen it, I'm wiping my eyes. Do you, do you know what a blessing it is to hear people praying for me and for my family? Right? I've had people tell me, yes, I pray for you and your family. And, and I'm trusting that you all do that. I'm, pressing, I'm trusting that you, you pray for Tina. Pray for Tina. 
right? She's got to deal with me. She's got a bunch of kids. She's got to deal with all my nonsense and, and trying to make sure that the, the church is functioning and going the way that it should be. All right, she's, she's constantly listening to me. So, so pray, for, but pray for me to make sure that I'm staying grounded in the word and doing those things. But to actually hear somebody pray for me, it's amazing. I don't know if you've had that opportunity, but let me recommend 6 o'clock Sunday night, we will pray for you. You will get to experience that. It is one of the greatest opportunities you can have. And because of this encouragement and the friendship of Barnabas, Saul continued to proclaim the gospel in Jerusalem. He was boldly proclaiming the message of Jesus in the city that he had formerly ravaged. Unfortunately, as is often the case when someone starts to talk about Jesus, the opposition was very severe. He was having these conversations and stuff. Acts chapter 9, 29 tells us that Saul was conversing and debating with the Hellenistic Jews. And as we've learned, there were two groups of Jews. There was the Hebraic Jews, the ones that grew up in Jerusalem, and there were the Hellenistic Jews, the ones that had lived outside of Jerusalem and were greatly influenced by the Greek culture. These were the ones who were trying, who were opposing Saul and wanted to put him to death. And when they were confronted with the reality of their sin, the Hellenistic Jews decided to double down on their sin. When they were confronted with it, when, it was, when it, they were shown the depravity of it, what they decided to do was rather than confess their sin, they said, oh yeah, you want to talk to me like that? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill you. Now their law, the law in, uh, in Exodus specifically says, thou shalt not kill. It, it, that's exactly, I'm going King James on that one. Thou shalt not kill. All right? It tells him specifically, you are not to kill anybody. There are no caveats. There are no exceptions. You don't kill. But these people were so upset with, with, with Saul telling them that they were sinners and that they needed Jesus, that they said, oh yeah, here's what we're going to do. We're going to kill you. Right? It didn't seem to matter to them that they were going to be breaking the law that they revered so much. And when the brothers, most likely the church leaders, discovered that there was an attempt on Saul's life, another one in just over three years, they immediately smuggled him out of the city. They said, Saul, for your safety, it's time for you to go. And so they smuggled him out. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how they did it. They got him down to Caesarea, and from Caesarea, he went back to Tarsus. And in Tarsus, that, that we'll, pick it up at, we'll pick up his story a little bit later. Now, Saul had been told by Ananias, and this is as we close, Saul had been told by Ananias that he was going to suffer a great deal for Christ. This passage demonstrates just a small amount of the suffering that Saul was going to experience in his life. As we've looked at, the Christian life is not a life of roses and cupcakes. It's been a while since I used that one. I figured I'd put it. But sadly, too many people are sold the lie that God wants our lives to be easy, that our, he wants our wallets to be fat, and that he wants our health to always be good. And if your life isn't easy and you don't have a lot of money and you're sick all the time, you must not be in the will of God. It couldn't be farther from the truth. And when those things don't happen, when people run out of money or they're constantly sick, you know what ends up happening? They walk away from their faith. They say, you know what, this is not what I got. Just like the story of Mickey Cohen. He wasn't told the entire truth. He walked away from it. There was, not, there's not, there was not a more godly person on earth than Saul, and his life was one danger after another. Now, as we close, there are four traits that were exemplified by Saul throughout all of these events. We would do well to ask God to make them a part of our life as well. The first one is Saul had a strong conviction 
that Christ, in, pardon me, Saul had a strong conviction in Christ as the true Messiah. He had had an encounter with the risen Savior, and his faith was grounded in this. We need to do the same thing. Well, it's very unlikely that you and I are going to be walking down the street and have an experience where God shows up in a blast of light. The way that we come to know Jesus is by spending time in our Bible. And if we want our faith to grow, we need to spend time in our Bible. Um, there, there is research that says that most evangelicals, most Southern Baptists, read their Bible about one time a week. All right? How would you feel if you only ate one time a week? All right? It wouldn't go very well. If we want to know Jesus, if we want our faith to be in him, we need to be in our Bibles. The second thing is Saul had a determination to be obedient to God regardless of the circumstances. Philippians 4, verse uh, 11 through 13, Paul is actually writing this from a prison cell. He said, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Saul came to understand those things. The third thing, Saul had an unswerving perseverance in purpose. Even after two assassination attempts, in about three years, he had been tried, people had tried to kill him twice. I don't think I would make it past one assassination attempt. They'd probably be successful, unfortunately, but I'm not very quick. Like, not, like Ronald Reagan, he's like, I forgot to duck, right? I wouldn't even know to duck. You guys are supposed to laugh at that. What in the world? All right. Goodness gracious. All right. Just as Peter and John were not, going to, <laughs> were not going to stop preaching, Saul had the same perseverance. Acts 4, 19 through 20. This is Peter and John talking. Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And finally, Saul had a strong commitment to proclaiming the gospel. He knew that God had set him apart with a special mission, and he was committed to it. Galatians chapter 1, 15 and 16, Paul's writing this. He says, But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. It was these traits, these four things, that set Saul apart and these are the same things that should be exemplified in our lives as believers. So if we're a believer, these are the things that, that we, should, uh, we should be striving to have in our lives. And just as it was necessary for Saul, we are not expected to do these things alone. We can't do them on our own. We are to be in fellowship with one another, encouraging each other, and pushing each other to grow. Right? I used to go to the gym a long time ago. Clearly it has been a while, right? And if I would go to the gym and try to work out by myself, you know what I would do? I would work out until I got tired. But sometimes when you join the gym, they get you a personal trainer. They give you like one session and then they, they hound you to get you to sign up for more, but they're really expensive. And so I was always like, nah, I'm good. And if I was working out with the personal trainer, you know what would happen? I'd start to get tired. And that dude was right here barking in my ear that kept me, kept me going, that would keep me pushing. Right? But if I was working out by myself, like I said, I'd, eh, okay, I'm tired. It was like one rep. I'm like, oh, I'm tired. All right, I'm going to go home. All right. We need people to encourage us and push us to keep growing. 
These things are experienced and possible only through the new life that we have in Jesus Christ and when we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We can only experience and have these traits when we are a new creation in Christ and we are trusting in the Holy Spirit. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for the story of Saul, Lord. I thank you for, uh, I thank you for the, the traits that were exemplified in him, that even though his, his beginning years were difficult and that the time that he spent learning and doing these things were, were, were hard for him because of loneliness and rejection and, and all of those things that he continued to push through. And so, Father, I would ask that you would uh, help each one of us to exemplify those traits, Lord, that we would um, be fully committed to sharing the gospel, that we would um, be unswerving from our purpose, that we would have our faith grounded in you, Lord, that all of those things would be a part of who we are, um, but we know that they're only possible through a new life in you, through a new life in Jesus Christ, and by trusting the Holy Spirit for his power. And Father, if there's anyone who's listening, whether it's uh, here in the, uh, in the room today or watching this via the Facebook feed or listening later on the podcast, Lord, if there's someone here who's, who's saying to themselves that I, I don't know what a new life in Christ is, I've never, I've never had that experience, I, I've never had the opportunity to trust Jesus, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that that takes place, that they would, that they would look to you and say, I know that I'm a sinner, I know that that I've done things that are going to keep me from uh, being, being with Christ forever. And, and so I trust Jesus who died on the cross for me, who, who died in my place on the cross and was buried. And three days later, he rose again, defeating sin and death. And by trusting in you, Jesus, I, I'm, I'm trusting that you will give me a brand new heart and you will give me eternal life to live with you forever. You will make me a new creation here on earth and give me a place in heaven one day. Father, if there's anyone who, who's never had an opportunity to pray that or trust that, Lord, I ask that today would be the day that that would take place, whether it's podcast or Facebook or wherever it might be. Lord, I ask that you'd be with each of us. Make us more like your son, whether it's through a new life, a new heart today, or whether it's a commitment to, to trusting you for these things. Lord, help us, to, help us to love the church, help us to love each other, help us to be in our, in our words loving you more. We ask all of this in your name.